Southwestern family of companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, our diversely and amazingly accomplished guests share their insights and inspirations to help us ignite our own. So let's invest attention together to breathe, to reflect and refocus, and decisively defeat that voice we call Mr. Mediocrity. Then let's enjoy moving forward to make a positive difference in our world. Are you interested in advertising with the Action Catalyst? Our listeners could be hearing about your brand right here, right now. For details, shoot us an email at info at theactioncatalyst.com. This is Dan Moore, and I'm delighted to be connected through the miracle of the internet to Tracy Jones in Pennsylvania. Tracy is somebody that I've had a chance to know for approximately 30 years. And among many other things, which she'll share with us, she is in charge of TremendousLeadership.com. It is not only a resource of books and inspiration, but also an entire attitude to help people move toward their goals in life. She is a well-known speaker. She is a leader in every regard. She is a published author several times. In fact, her latest book has a wonderful title, A Message to Millennials, What Your Parents Didn't Teach and Your Employer Needs to Know. And with her sense of humor and her real-world slant, I know it's going to be a fantastic book, and I'm looking forward to picking it up myself. Tracy served our country. She graduated from the U.S. Air Force Academy and spent 12 years as an officer in the U.S. Air Force in Europe as well as locally. Uh, She went from Roswell to the Gulf War to Germany and to England and has had, after that, great service in the civilian side of defending our country, uh, working with the National Security Agency as well as civilian contractors. And then her father, Charlie Tremendous Jones, iconic in the motivational industry, ultimately passed away in 2009. And it became obvious to everyone in the family and those that knew what Charlie had built that Tracy was the one to take the reins and build that and extend it and make it absolutely fantastic. She is a generous giver and always will be. And we're delighted that she's giving of her time today for the Action Catalyst. So Tracy C. Jones, welcome. Thank you, Dan. It's tremendous to be speaking with you and your listeners today. Well, we are really, really fired up about it. You've had such an interesting career with many stopping points, but I would say if we were describing a career like a building, you've spent time on three floors in a very significant way. One, of course, is your experience in the Air Force. I know you had some also direct sales experience with the Southwestern Company before that actually began. Mm-hmm. Can you can you share a little bit about those formative experiences, either either selling books or then what it was like at the Academy, serving our country in Europe, some of the, some of the lessons and the key learnings and how you grew during that time. Absolutely. Well, we'll talk a little bit about my father, but he was um, he was very interesting growing up. He would travel and he would come back and he would share these different organizations that he had spent time with and, of course, observe the young people in them that he would consider to be, you know, tremendous leaders. And it's how he brought up Southwestern to me. And it's also how I wound up going to the Air Force Academy. And my coding as a child growing up is I was always open to new experiences. It's a personality trait. You can hone it. Some of us are more easygoing with risk and trying the unknown. Other times we prefer the more routine. But I pulled that trait from him because he was very much, you know, whatever the day brings, I'm going to I'm gonna try it. And if it doesn't work out, okay, I got experience. And if it does work out, okay, I got success. So that was one of his laws of leadership was exposure to experience. And I can remember growing up, he would tell me, Tracy, 
You need to go out and earn your own stripes. And so probably as a little girl, I thought, well, then I'm going into the military. And my father loved the military. He tried to get in. I think he lied about his age. He lied about his skill set. He lied about graduating. He tried to get in, He, but he was not accepted. But he was such a patriot. Um, so during, um, I was in college a couple years before I went into the military, and I remember him talking to me about Southwestern. And of course, um, summers, my father had an interesting perspective on leisure time. He always thought that work should be more fun than fun. So when you had downtime, you should still be growing or impacting people's lives. So when I would be done with school for the summer, he was like, okay, so what are you going to do? And of course, he brought up Southwestern. And I remember him telling me, I knew he was a life insurance salesman. I knew he cut his teeth on cold call and commission. And I just knew that this was a huge a factor in making him the tremendous person that he was. And I can remember him telling me, Tracy, if you can do this, if you can go knock on a door, cold call, knock on a door and make, an a, sale, and make a sale, he goes, that's one of the hardest things in life you're ever going to accomplish. And I thought, good, I'm 18. Let's get the hard stuff out of the way so that I can have fun the rest of my life. So that's how I wound up going. And then he'd tell me funny stuff like, Tracy, when you knock on the door, he goes, don't put your foot in the door. He goes, put your head through the door. That way, when they go to shut it, you can still keep talking to him about what a tremendous product. <laughs> <laughs> As I would just sit there and every time I get that, mm, that door closed, I just think of my dad and I'm like, you know, that's life and uh, onwards and upwards. But I had two summers and they, they were just remarkable. And it really taught me to learn how to authentically approach people. I was in a couple areas, um, uh, Virginia and West Virginia. And so in some of the areas that, uh, and I sold the two cent encyclopedia, the two books that came together, they were, I think together like $60 and it was the equivalent of a condensed encyclopedia Britannica, great books. And it was just, um, a wonderful environment because these were the people that could really use something like that. So it was wonderful to go out and connect with them. I had pen pals with a lot of the people that I met and sold uh, books to for many years. And, um, I can remember once, I think I bartered a kitten and once I stumbled upon a moonshine distillery and uh, once I had some wild turkeys chasing my pecking at my so it was all Americana it was a different culture but it was just incredible to meet these people real salt of the earth just dear people that that really appreciated those books so did two summers there and then I can remember my father coming back and saying Hey, I went down and I spoke to an organization in Roswell, New Mexico. Of course, this is before all the aliens were down there. And it was called right. New Mexico Military Institute, uh, NMMI or NIMI. And I remember he just laid the flyer on the table and he said, Tracy, these kids that go there, they're really going to make something out of their life. Just like the Southwestern pitch, man, these kids that sell these books, they are tough. They're, 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 they're building their leadership genes. And I'm like, okay, dad. So I applied to New Mexico military Institute, which was an army, uh, uh, high school and junior college. And it was a feeding school. They call them prep schools for typically West point, uh, Annapolis or, uh, the air force Academy. And I being an East coast girl, I knew about Annapolis and West Point. I did not know about the Air Force Academy. So I go to Roswell, have an incredible year. 
um, got recognized with the Outstanding New Cadet Award and um, loved it. Uh, I loved the discipline. I loved the structure. So I graduated after one year because I had already had a year of college. And they said, okay, what do you want to do next? And I'm like, well, I'm not sure what I want to do. This is how I kind of go through life. I'm not sure, but what's available? And I had an air officer commander, Major John Schaefer, and he said, Tracy, he goes, we've got West Point, Annapolis. And I said, okay, I've heard of them. And he goes, but I fell in love with the West. I mean, when I went to New Mexico, I was just like, this is it. And there's not many things in life I know, but one of them is someday I'm living in New Mexico, land of enchantment. And he said, um, well, there's the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. And I said, well, well, let's give that a shot. So this gentleman was pivotal in getting me my nomination. And, you know, uh, three months later, I showed up as a Zoomie at uh, Pikes Peak in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And um, it was just a phenomenal experience. I'm glad I had a couple years under my belt before I went out there. Some kids came right out of high school and I just soaked it up for, this is just the most credible experience. And I'm so honored to uh, have this opportunity. And again, I didn't know if I wanted to make this my life's work, but all I knew was that right now for this season, I'm going to go in and I'm, I'm going to get it, give it everything I can. And it was some of the greatest friends, some of the greatest people. And, you know, the military Academy was really all about learning leadership skills and discipline conscientiousness, being open to new experience, accountability, camaraderie, not passing the buck, um, not making excuses. I mean, all these critical life lessons were just drill that you are only as strong as the weakest link, that you never leave your wingman. Everything we should do, we do is it should be done with excellence from shining our boots to making our beds. And most importantly, that the greatest thing in life is to give your life a living for the service of something greater than yourself, which was to support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic and our allies around the world. So it was just a remarkable experience. And I look back at it as I tell people, if I wouldn't have had that, I'd probably be living in a van down by the river <laughs> because it just... <laughs> It just really, um, I mean, like I grew up with a father who was very disciplined, but, but self-discipline is different than growing up in a disciplined environment. And so when I got out on my own, I was thankful I had that opportunity with a very structured environment and just then, then graduated. And then off I was to live all over the world. The first Gulf War, I lived in England, Italy, got to be part of the Bosnia War, Turkey, Germany, you name it. And it was just absolutely, absolutely phenomenal. Wow. And you were in, you were in leadership roles, of course, supporting our troops and helping us survive in some really incredibly difficult situations. Yes. I had the, uh, the joy of being um, uh, an aircraft maintenance officer on the fighter jets. So it was so much fun because I am very much a, a hands-on leader. So I really loved walking the flight line, getting the jets ready, getting a call in the middle of the night. Hey, we got to launch 12. We're going, we don't know where we're going. We don't know how long we're staying, but it was just incredibly exciting. And I loved it. And I loved living in different cultures because you get to see the rest of the world. I love meeting people to see that we're not all that different. And I especially love it because it always reminds me how incredibly blessed we are in this country. So, and to work with your allies and let them know, Hey, we got your back. And um, work with my enlisted troops were just phenomenal as an officer. They took incredible care of me. You know, your followers, when you're a leader, they can empower you or disempower you. And I had the greatest enlisted folks that just 
taught me well, and I gave them the utmost respect, and they always made me look good. So it was just just very, very exciting as, as a young lady seeing all this stuff and having all this responsibility with an incredible cadre of fellow officers, higher officers, wing commanders, you know, people like General Schwarzkopf and stuff like that to look up to and just really go, this is what a leader should be. Well, what's really significant of what you just said, Tracy, is that you mentioned the enlisted people taught you. Now, there's some people when they're put into an appointed position of leadership feel like I can't learn from these people. I'm supposed to teach them everything. So how do you maintain an attitude of teachability when the rank system says you should be the one doing the telling and not the learning? Right. Well, rank system is really just a matter of a pay scale based on how many people you're responsible for. So it doesn't necessarily mean you know more than anybody else. But Dan, I think the biggest thing for that is there is a big difference between being a leader and the act of leadership. When you are a leader, it's all about improving your own individual skills. Leadership is no longer about you, but how well you get things done through your influence on other people. So you can be an incredibly great leader and have horrible leadership skills. There's a lot of people. And I would say I had to learn this a lot. And I'm like, um, well, I got my, my, my ship is tight. My stuff is squared away. But if you're in a leadership role, it's, it's not about you. It's about the people underneath you. And you see a lot of leaders when there are um, crises or falls from grace, they'll blame it on their underlings. And I'm like, uh-huh, you were never engaging in leadership. It was always just about you. So you have to realize when you were in a role as an officer for leadership, people were not judging me for me. I was being evaluated on how well I got things done through the skills of the others. And if you as a leader are not teachable and humble, you're never going to be able to make the step to leadership. You may be a leader, but you won't engage in leadership. That is such a crucial distinction, and I've never heard it delineated as clearly as you just did. Thank you. I just read that in my doctoral studies like six months ago. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is what I've been, you know, because I because I work with a lot of people and they're trying so hard. But you really got it, it's it's such a slight focus, but it's one that you need to really pay attention to. And, and hopefully they'll, they'll start teaching our, our, our up emerging followers and emerging leaders this distinction. Yes. And it's what we do through other people that makes leadership actually happen. I think that's fantastic. Yes, sir. Uh, now, when you made the transition, you were leaving from military life into working with the NSA, but also liaising with defense contractors as well. Um, what were some of the attitude adjustments that you had to make as you made that shift? Uh, right. Well, the first thing I did was I wanted to go after I left the military. I did 12 and uh, 12 years, and which was longer than I thought I'd do. I thought I'd just do my five to pay back, but then living all over the world. And I, I just, I loved it. Actually, right out of the military, I moved to Austin, Texas, and I worked in high tech for a Fortune 100 semiconductor firm. So um, I wanted to be in a creative space in a big company, a private or uh, a publicly traded company. And the biggest thing, um, and then I went up to defense contracting and to work for the, the NSA. The biggest thing I had to realize was in the civilian sector, you have to get things done through influence. In the military, you should get things done through influence, but you can still get them done by power. Leadership in the military, although you should have a servant heart. The bottom line is leadership in the military is very cut and dry because you have the rank system. And if somebody sasses back or don't want to show up or is insubordinate, 
it's not like it is in the civilian sector. Okay. It's very cut and dry. There's rules and we're, we're done. You, you know, you follow or you're, you're evacuated kind of thing. So the big thing was moving to civilian sector was, okay, none of these people, I was a project manager. And for our listeners that have been project managers, it's the most thankless job, but because you have all the responsibility, but nobody works for you directly, but yet everybody comes to you and yells at you and stuff goes wrong or right. And so I had to realize, Hey, I have to get things done through influence and not power. And I I still try to do that in the military, but in the military people, if you had enough, you just say, because I'm the officer, that's why we're not end of discussion. You cannot do that in the civilian sector, especially when people are not in your direct chain. So that was the one thing I really had to do. It was um, it was wonderful because you had to know uh, the more you knew about different people, the more you were, knew about what their particular piece of the entire project was. So you could understand how they fit into the grand scheme of things, how you would respond to them, show them respect, just treat them like a valuable piece of the entire process. And that, that was very important. You had to communicate, 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 follow up, follow up, follow up, and then also escalate, escalate, escalate. Um, The biggest thing I learned there was really, I can solve any problem in the world as long as I identify it early enough and call in the right resources. And that was an incredible project management lesson. Where most people fall apart and go off the rails in life is because they ignore the warning signs. They're not paying attention and then they wait till it's too late and the train is already halfway off the rails. Civilian um, project management taught me to really stay aware of all the moving pieces and to um, be very good at radial thinking and weaving them all together into a singular point of completion, so to speak. Right. On that subject, Tracy, what would you say are some of the keys toward truly influencing people? Because you're making an excellent point. In military, it's command and control. And if it gets too bad, you simply remove someone, which is not something you can generally do in the civilian world. So what would be one or two key tips on on how to be an effective influencer of others? I think realizing that we all hear and process words completely differently. I process things at a certain rate and way. And when I'm working with somebody else in another division, they may not. So the most important thing to realize when you're dealing with somebody else is that they're going to interpret things differently than you. Uh, And difference, not bad. What it means is that you may have to get to know them a little better to understand. You know, you've heard of the disc personality style. Is this the type of person that when I go in and ask them for an update on where this particular part is coming in or where this engineering redesign is at? Are they more of an influencer person where I need to come in and kind of chat with them a little? Are they more relational or is it somebody that's Hivey that's more task focused? So that's the first thing I think you need to realize that people fall throughout the entire spectrum. Some people, if you chit chat with them, they'll tell you to shut up. (laughs) And other people, if you go in and demand something, they're like, they'll be crushed and never speak to you again. So somewhere in the continuum of task to relational focus, everybody's in there. So really taking time to get to know who are the people that you need something from, get to know them, how they would like you to present. Do they want a call? Do they want an email? Do they want you to, you know, go out to lunch and what do they want? The other thing is, Dan, the most important thing is, I read a book um, by Brant Hansen called Unoffendable and to stop jumping to conclusions. 
I am not God. I can't know what's going on in the other person's heart or their motives. And a lot of times when we're dealing under pressure with things and we don't get what we want, we immediately assume the worst. Oh my gosh, that I know they did that because they want me to just da, 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 da. And, and when you just go to the person and say, hey, what did I miss here? What did I make clear? You can alleviate so much of the headaches and um, the absolute hassles when you go to talk to them. The third thing is for project management influence, you have to know how to do conflict resolution well. Conflict resolution is you go first and foremost, mano and mano, man to man, man to woman. You know what I'm saying? You go right to the source and say, hey, I was expecting this and this didn't happen. You go to them calmly and you can say, did I miss something? What can I help you with? And only do you start escalating it if they look at you and say, yeah, well, I just didn't feel like doing it, which probably is not going to happen. I have had it happen a couple of times and then I just go to their boss. But for the most part, we get so strung out and start raising the alarm when if we just went to that person or or you'll be in a, in a meeting and somebody will say, uh, you'll say, hey, well, what happened with this? Why didn't this make it in? And somebody will say, well, I heard. And what? whenever you hear that, you should say, there is no you know, it's, it's hearsay, go to the person and, and, and try and resolve the issue at the lowest level. 99% of our problems can get taken care of right at that level. And the other person will respect you so much more by just coming to them. And then you can deconstruct and say, okay, where did I miss it the first time? Obviously I didn't make something clear. And how can I, how can I resolve that going forward? Once you do that, then people know that you are rational you are firm but fair because it doesn't mean you give people carte blanche and not do their job, but that you respect them and you're going to try and work with them. And that's when I think you really get into this heightened sense of people know that you have their back and they are going to reciprocate and they're going to have yours. I think that is absolutely awesome. You know, our chairman of the board, Henry Bedford, often says that problems that emerge in a business or an organization can usually be solved within six feet of where you discover it. And if you just oh go directly to the source. That is so true. And I was read. I was doing some board training, and I and I heard this uh, quote, and it said, "There's no such thing as a board problem without a first and last name." And it's like, you know what? We industries don't have problems. Individuals have problems. Religions don't have problems. Individuals, you know, when you have to drill down to what is it exactly, and let's go, let's go to the source and try and let's try and resolve this. We don't do very good about that. And that is that is where real influence happens. Well, that is such a critical point. I, I think you probably met Spencer Hayes at one time or another in the past. And Spencer was very famous for saying, when asked, how do you build companies? He said, you can't build companies. You can only build people and people build companies. Absolutely. Yeah. And when, when people, and that's why people leave jobs, they don't leave companies, they leave bad bosses. Um, you know what? I'd be happy scooping up elephant dung the whole rest of my life. If I had a leader I admired, I mean, you know, it, it really gets into, yes, you want to use your innate skills, but I've worked with plenty of um, jobs that should have been a perfect fit for me, but they've been miserable because of the culture and the lack of teamwork, the dysfunction. So that, that stops doing anything. And I'm sure in, in the military, your different postings, you felt different cultures. And then your your work in the civilian sphere, in the tech field, military contracting, NSA, different cultures under different leaders. Correct. Absolutely. Um, Tracy, this is just, it's just amazing. You know, many people spend their entire career in one 
general field of work. Here you go from military to the tech world. And then in October of 2008, uh, at the age of 80, your father passed away. Uh, haven't had the privilege of being at the remembrance service and hearing all the people talk about his influence, which he believed could best be extended through books. Uh, as you well know better than I, and I'd like to share with our listeners, your dad had a, a, a resolution that he kept to give away 10,000 copies a year of Norman Vincent Peale's uh, Power of Positive Thinking. And he took it upon himself to give away so many books because he felt that was important. And he built what was originally called executive books, and then it became tremendous life books, and you've now called it tremendous leadership. But what actually happened without revealing anything in, in confidence that caused you to leave what was a successful, exciting career in doing what you're doing to decide to, to pick up the business that your dad had started? And what was that all about? Uh, well, to everything, there is a season. And I mean, it's biblical, it's in Ecclesiastics and, and, uh, you know, there are times where you feel like this is the greatest job in the whole world. And then several years later, you realize, Hey, it's ready for something else. So I always tell people there's two reasons that we can pivot on. We can pivot on pain or we can pivot on purpose. And you really should try and pivot because of purpose, because a lot of times when we pivot because of pain, we end up making things worse. That being said, when I left the job where I uh, was at before I came back with my father, I was not planning on leaving. However, there were some doors being closed. And again, I tell the people, um, cult, your cult, the, the organizational culture and your intrinsic values, there has to be a value congruence. In other words, they must mesh. Otherwise, just like in marriage, you can be unequally yoked. I call it in professional settings, you'll be unequally choked, where you'll want to choke your boss or your boss will want to choke you because what's important to you and what's important to the organization are two different things. And I tell people, but remember, they're the ones that sign the checks, so they get to make the final call. Okay. Not you, you can start your own company, but it became clear towards the end that not, not anything bad, but that, that I had taken this aspect, this project management, this defense contracting, I had really run this out as far as I could go. And I'm all about continuing to evolve. And if I can't evolve, I evacuate. And I tell people that in life, you got to be growing or you got to be going. Um, these are the, these are the two, there is no status quo. There is no stagnation. So it became very clear the last couple months, my father was in hospice care and I came home every weekend to just spend the weekend with him and share time with him. Cause Dan, we hadn't really talked about any secession planning. I was doing my thing. He was doing his thing. I'm not a salesperson. I'm a left brainer. I'm an engineer. I'm not a right brain, creative sales, schmoozy woozy. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, this is, this is not me. Um, but I went to um, the National Speakers Association event and represented him in New York City several months before he died. And so many people, I mean, I had great respect for my, my father did, but I was off earning my own stripes. I was off doing my own thing. And it was completely divergent from what he did because I wanted to prove myself on my terms. And that's what I did. And as I was at the National Speakers Association, so many people came up to me and just shared what he meant, as you did before we had this conversation. And I knew he was 
impactful, but it was so good. That touched my heart. And that's when I got the calling too. And I tell people, whenever you make a change in life, you will have a calling to, and you will have a calling from both those need to be locked in before you should make any changes because otherwise it's your ego wanting something different and not life telling you this is the next chapter. It's time to turn the page. So I felt this call. I started talking to my father and things started to unfold. Then when I got back to the place where I was working at, it was the end of the contract. There were some things closing up, some different changes and things that were happening. And I thought, you know what? It is time for me to leave here while I am at the top of my game. And so that that's exactly what I did. And all I thought was, I don't know if this is going to work. I hadn't even seen the book stand. I didn't even know if they could afford to pay me. I didn't know anything other than I took a leap of faith and I thought one of two things is going to happen. I'm going to come back and I'm going to put a bow on this gorgeous present my father has left to the world and let it sit as a legacy piece. Or I'm going to come in and I'm going to work this baby and I'm going to continue trying to do what he did with speaking, writing, publishing, distributing, giving away books, kissing babies, rescuing, you know what I'm saying? And and I, I I was really open to God because it's not my business, okay? It's And I had the calling to and I was open to him and I said, okay. Whichever one you want, I'm told I can easily go back to defense contracting. I can go back to doing a million and one other things. But, uh, you know, once you get the entrepreneurial bug and I realized after making the, the, the change, I realized all along I truly was a lot more entrepreneurial than I gave myself credit for. And that's kind of why I was having these constantly hitting these walls in the more in the bureaucracies. And there's a great quote that said, and I forget who said it, you'll have to look it up, but it says entrepreneurship is the last refuge of the troublemaking individual. And I remember reading that and thinking, perhaps I finally found the coat that fits me best. Not that I have any regrets about the other things. So I came back and by the grace of God, because second generation businesses have a a fairly high mortality rate, I'm still here. We're still going uh, with the help of just an incredible tribe of people and it's continuing to grow. And all I did was pray God, like Elijah and Elijah, just give me, just give me double the blessing, not to be quote twice as successful in worldly terms, but to at least allow me to continue the reach and then some. And the most important lesson I learned over the last 10 years was that there is a difference between residual momentum and creative momentum. And you have had to face it with Southwest. You've had to look at what you were and what you are now. So you have to really innovate or die. It all goes back to the evolve or evacuate. And the publishing industry, the speaking industry, the you know how you purchase books, that has all radically changed in the last 10 years. So the important part I always try and do is to keep the DNA, the, the tremendous uh, you know, the love of books, um, how the transformative power of books in your life, keep the DNA, but then constantly be open to how do I get the, the message out in the most relevant way and, and the next greatest construct. So that's kind of every day. That's, right. that's what I wake so, up to. So one more time, you said residual momentum versus was it creative momentum? Is that the alternative? Correct. So the first eight years that I ran this business, I was really in residual momentum because as you've heard, I'm an operations girl. And I mean, I can grow revenue and cut costs like it is nobody's business. All right. But eventually, though, you have to start creating something new or else you can only uh, polish a stone so many times before 
everything's rubbed off. So then I had to really start mining for, okay. And I remembered one of the last things my father said to me as he squeezed, this is, this is the secession plan right here. One sentence. I said, dad, three days before he died, I'm coming back to run the business. He squeezes my hand, had a little tear in his eye. He says, I'm so happy. He goes, and he whispered because he had lost his voice. He says, I know you'll take it places I never could have. That was it. That was it in a nutshell. And then after eight year point of constantly going back to the same wells, I realized, guess what? Those wells are running dry. And all of a sudden I remembered that conversation my father said to me, I have to take this places he never went. And so that's when I started saying, okay, I have to get into creative mode, which meant I now have to start being innovative. I have to go to this whole new level of thinking uh, versus critical and strategic thinking. It's this abductive thinking where you start creating a future that has not been developed yet. And that is a whole different realm of thinking. And that's what I've really been trying to work on, study on, you know, this mind plasticity that we are still reprogramming our minds and we're discovering. And there's so much neuroscience behind it. And I'm like, okay, good, good. You know, this can be done because I'm not. I, I am I am a left brain person. I need the research, the data behind that says that this can be done. And um, as you said, I have the tenacity. I, I just got to know that, you know, when you hit 50 or 60 or 70 or 80, that every year can be created to be a more brilliant success than the last one. And once I was all in with that, because just like everybody else on this phone call, I have to see the value in it. And then I have to believe that I can do it. Otherwise, I'm not some kind of mysterious thing that things suddenly change and are different type yeah, thing. One of my uh, most, yeah. most important mentors so in my life was Jerry Heffel, whom you know. And Jerry used to say, in order for people to feel motivated, they have to have two conditions met. Number one, they have to know what's in it for them. And number two, they have to believe they can be successful. Yes. That is what the self, and I'm, I'm working on my doctorate in, in, in uh, leadership, and I'm writing on my research is on self-efficacy and followership. And those are the two things. Value and belief that you can do it. If you don't have those two things, nobody's changing and nobody's buying what you're, what you're, nobody's opening up their wallets to pick up what you got. And you can have one or the other. A lot of people see value, but they don't believe they can. And other people believe they can, but they don't see value in it. And so once you really approach, you got to get your head in that. You got to believe it yourself before you can sell so anybody else in it. Um, well, bring us, bring us to the present, Tracy. How would you describe the company and the, the activity and the business and the mission of Tremendous Leadership? Well, thank you for asking that. Um, sometimes I tell people it's easier to talk about what we don't do than what we do do because it sounds like um, we got a lot of stuff going on. Um, we, uh, the main ways that we get out there and we are a, um, a small for-profit business that, and, and I'll talk about the trust then and what, 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 Everything that we do is to generate income and revenue for what I like to call the righteous use of wealth to help other people live more tremendous lives. So we are a distributor, a wholesale distributor. So we work with large organizations if they want to order a particular title for an upcoming group or for a team. We take care of their logistics back end, get it out to meetings um, because we are a distributor. So we do that. 
I also speak and coach and uh, do um, uh, do a lot of associations, chamber groups, institute of organizational management, you name it. Um, uh, do that too. I also write my own stuff. And of course I have my books, but I'm about to release my fifth children's book with my rescue dogs, my best smelling pothers. So I love, the only thing I love just about as much as books is dogs. They're actually tied. So what better than to have dogs write books for children to learn leadership principles? I mean, that's my zone. That's my Jim Collins hedgehog principle. So I do a lot of speaking to children too, because like you said, when your son hit life is tremendous at eight, I read Uh, Power Positive Thinking. I think when I was eight, I tell people I read Power Positive Thinking by Norman Vincent Peale before I cracked open Pokey Little Puppy. I mean, I just, and I I love teaching up because that kind of stuff, all I remember as a child getting exposed to Zig Ziglar and Ken Blanchard and Norman Vincent Peale sitting and listening to this men from the time I was two, thinking life is all about transformation. Life is all about becoming the next best version of yourself. Life is all about reading, meeting people, reading books. So obviously that was dripped into me, into my lifeblood, and now is part of my DNA. So we do a lot of that. And the other thing is now too... I, um, I publish, we probably have a new book coming out every month. I work with people from ghostwriting to children's books, to illustrated books, to fantasy. I mean, you name it. I love that people see that they have a message inside them. And so we work with them to actually publish your book and all the way from back end order fulfillment, loader on Amazon, do your income fulfillment to just getting them together, gorgeous files of a top rate product that they can go out and use as a speaker and everything in between. So what we do then is our profits go towards the tremendous trusts, which funds scholarships, homeless shelters building leadership institutions and libraries in emerging third world countries, rescue groups, um, you name it. And in the past 10 years, we've given close to 1.6 million in our profits to do that because we want people to have more tremendous lives too. So that that's what really drives the whole thing. Um, we also do uh, a ministry called Books Behind Bars, which is where we go into several state corrections institutes here in Pennsylvania. And if anybody listening is in prison ministry and wants to do this, we'll get you the books. And we have month, we have the Tremendous Life Book Club. And we sit there and we read Norman Vincent Peale or Henry Cloud or Victor Frankl, Man's Search for, for Meaning. We read books or Life is Tremendous. And these gentlemen are learning the life skills and finding that they still have value. They still have meaning. And um, Dan, some of these guys are in for life. But uh, we talked about books and there is a school of psychology called bibliotherapy. And I like to say, read two books and call me next week. My father was a bibliotherapist. He just wasn't licensed. He was a firm believer in anything that you know, you can find between the pages of a book. The question is, do you see value in that? And will you take, will you open up? And, and take the time to digest it. So it's just, it's very ex- exciting. Everywhere I turn from preschoolers to men that have uh, made uh, mistakes that they've given up their freedom for life, we are seeing people transform. And it's just incredibly exciting. It is amazingly exciting. And of course, it, it is so powerful to hear you say this. 
particularly when you talk about not just making this a legacy business where you continue the momentum, but in fact, it's the creative momentum, not residual momentum, carrying this to the places that your dad said he could not even imagine going. And you are doing that, Tracy Jones. It's fantastic. Thank you, Dan. Yeah. Appreciate that encouragement. <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm just delighted and feel so fortunate that we're having this conversation. In fact, I'm sitting here smiling because one of the things your dad used to say is, yes, it's true, I have six children, and they're all boys except four of them. <laughs> and he is smiling proudly. And then daughter. He, oh, thank you. Well, the other ones he'd say is life is tremendous as in his six printing. And he'd see that's true, but that's because the first five were blurred. You know, he was always full which is not true. It sold like millions of, but I mean, he was just always so humble. And, and, you know, for our listeners, uh, you know, two days before my father died, he narrated to me some things that happened in his early life. All I knew, I didn't know much. Okay. All I knew is it wasn't too good, but I knew that it didn't hold him back from anything. And he shared with me, um, he had flunked out of school in the eighth grade uh, because he was uh, raised in poverty. Uh, his mother had left him. He was staying with some relatives who, by today's standard, would probably be in jail and um, just was working every job he could. It was a Depression era. And he was so tired, he just couldn't stay awake in school. And he flunked eighth grade. And he was so embarrassed and hurt that he did not go back to school. And so he shared this with me. And you, as he shared this with me, I could see that out of that place of pain came his love of meeting people where they were, you know, he loved the underdog. He loved the person, the person that was just a fighter. He loved anybody that had been marginalized because he had been, but that did not stop him from uncovering the innate, the God seed within himself, the Imago Dei, the greatness, and just getting into these books and people, my mother, the life insurance industry, finding Christ, finding books, finding mentors. And he would just say, that's where he was, but that's not where he is now. And this, this absolute resiliency and in leadership, they call it your adaptive capacity your regenerative feature. It's, it's called a self-writing feature. You're like a weeble. You wobble and you get knocked down, but you, it's, you self-write, you get right back up, you know, and just to see him um, live that out. And yes, there's a spiritual component, but there's also an evolutionary intrinsic leadership component too. Um, every leader in the world is a leader because they have overcome things that other people could not. And so to watch him live this and then hear in his last breath how that still deeply affected him. He it didn't hold him back, but he still bore some shame because of that. And again, it just showed me, although he was larger than life, it just really showed me the human side of him. And it was just it was an incredibly endearing moment. Well, and he was larger than life because from the time that he was told he had six months to live, he lived nine more years. And that was a very exciting to realize. Tracy, I cannot believe how rapidly this whole time has gone. It's as if we just started talking and I want this to continue in the future. For our listeners, can you share one final thought with them about what to do if they feel like they've hit a brick wall of discouragement in their organization, in their personal life? What, what do you do when you just feel like there's, there's not a way out? You've hit that brick wall. Any insights you could share? 
Absolutely. Well, I would highly recommend prayer. <laughs> um, be still. You have if you're not taking time to Sabbath, and even if you're not a believer, if you don't time to take time to unplug and recharge, just like your phone, you're going to deplete yourself. So sooner or later, you have to just unplug and deconstruct from all the noise. I do recommend prayer. I recommend praying to whatever God that you want to pray to and search out what do you really want in life. Number three, you need to be incredibly intentional about what you allow to go into your mind. Turn off the news. I've been off the news for over four and a half years. I cut the cord with cable. I got rid of the toxic people in my life. Be very intentional and seek it. And trust me, they're there. You just are blocking them, okay? Get rid of the negativity. Get rid of the stinking thinking. Be very intentional. Find the friends. Find the people that want your success more than you want it. And if you're like, Tracy, I don't have those people in your life, my life right now, you get into those books and you read them. The one I'd really wake up right now, if you have that feeling where you're just not what sure to do um, next, Henry Clouds, The Power of the Other. You read that and you will begin to realize this is what I knew to break to break out of this funk. It pulled me back from the brink two years ago, and I highly recommend so that's it. Henry cloud the power of the other or the power of other the power of the other oh my gosh because really you've got stuff in your life that needs cleaned off you can't move forward until you prune away the dead diseased or dying you'll never have explosive growth until you get intentional about purging wow that is absolutely powerful and it's all about being intentional and when we don't feel like we've got good role models we have the beautiful thing called books I know that from seeing it personally, your father had nearly 300 biographies of Abraham Lincoln, and he had read all of them. So we can learn so much from the the leaders that have gone before. And I think I can speak for all the listeners on the Action Catalyst to say, I have learned and I have benefited and I have grown from your willingness to share. You are, in fact, moving into a new creative phase with tremendous leadership. And I know your father, and I know that he is smiling, and the countless lives you're touching and will continue to touch. We can't measure, Tracy. You are tremendous. Thank you for being with us. Please give your mom, 91 years young, a great hug from all of us as well. I sure will, Dan. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. To stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. Thanks for listening.